This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast brought to you by Christian Hockey. It's Matt Larkin here. It's Ken Campbell. It's Ryan Kennedy. And, you know, we got four teams left in the old bubble. It's shifted over to the West. And I don't know about you guys. uh, Just watching last night, Braden Point was just, every time I looked at the screen, Braden Point was just doing something. He was dominant. And I kind of want to start this podcast with Point as the topic. And I can't take credit, okay? It's from a Twitter user named A. Killick. I thought it was like an Alex Killorn burner account. And, and A. Killick asked us if Tampa Bay wins the cup without, without Steven Stamkos, do you trade him? So basically, is Braden Point kind of pushing Steven Stamkos out of that alpha chair? So I want to start the podcast with that. P.S. Hi, how are you guys doing? Uh, so Kenny, tell me what you think about this idea. Okay, well, I'm, I don't know if, if producer Steven can do this, but... You might want to just run last week's podcast when we did uh, Con Smythe Trophy uh, nominees, candidates. I said Braden Point, and I also said, and I quote myself, um, he's their best player. It's not Kucherov, it's not Stamkos, it's not Hedman, it's not Vasilevsky, it's Braden Point. He's their best player, full stop. I said that. I did. Just go back and look, okay? You just have to go back and look. I said it. So there. Um, Anyways, but... This, I, again, this is kind of a fantasy hockey thing. I like, I, like, I like to call this like hockey pool trades or fantasy hockey trades because they're not very realistic. Number one, Steven Stankos has a no movement clause. Uh, number two, he signed there for a reason. He, he signed for less money in Tampa um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because he wanted to be part of an organization that was going to win. Number two, he wanted to, he, he, the taxes, right? The 8.5 that he signed for in Tampa is you know, 10 or $11 million in a lot of other places. So why would Steven Stamkos agree to a trade? I just don't think he would. I can't imagine he ever would. So I, I think it's kind of a moot point. What unfortunately I think it means is that it's going to cost them guys like Tyler Johnson or Andre Palat or, you know, guys like that, because not only do guys like Sorelli and Sergachev come up, let's remember in two years, Braden Point's going to be a restricted free agent with arbitration rights. And he may have a, if, if all goes to plan, he's going to have a Conn Smythe trophy on his resume, at least one. Who knows if what this guy's capable of? Like, would anybody be surprised if in two years, this guy's a Hart Trophy winner? No. And, and so he's going to have to be paid too. So I think that's where you're going to see the, where you're going to see the, them have to cut corners in it. And it's the problem that every good team has when you have too many good players. You know, you're going to be paying Stamkos, you're going to be paying Kucherov, you're going to be paying Hedman, and now you, and Vasilevsky, and now you're going to have to be paying Drayden Point. That means you're going to have those five guys and a bunch of guys named Mo. <laughs> you know, and I think that's the way it's going to play out. Yeah, and another problem that Tampa Bay has, not only does Stamkos have a, a, a no-move clause, but most of their impact players other than Kucherov and Point have no trade clauses. Like they have a, a number of no trade clauses, just a whole bunch of them. And it's really going to be hard to, to make a lot of moves in the near future for GM Julian Brisebois. I, I think the other problem too is, you know, with Stamkos, he's had a couple of bad injuries. You know, he, he's getting to that 30 and over point in his career 
And, you know, as Ken mentioned, you know, eight and a half million dollars a year. He's got another four years on that contract in an economy where we know it's going to be a flat cap next season and maybe even the next year, depending on how revenues shake out, who's going to have room for an over 30 center making that much money and also is good enough that Stamkos would say, yeah, I'll go there. I, I think it's a really tough situation in Tampa. And that's why this is a really crucial year for them. Like I, I'm not saying it's cup Absolutely. or bust, but it's almost cup or bust because they've got a lot of things to do in the off season. It's going to be a really hard off season in terms of making that cap work. So if Braden point can lead them to a Stanley cup now, that is really the best case scenario. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, it's, it's been exciting to see what points done. And from a fantasy scenario, you, you see a future where it's Point and Sorelli are the top two centers. And, you know, Braden Point's been dominant. He's got 23 points in 14 games in the playoffs. It's The score is 18-7 at 5-on-5 five five in the playoffs with Point on the ice. So I can see, you look at the situation, you think, well, you know, is Steven Stamkos the best hockey fit for what the club needs right now? They're doing this well without him. And they've only got a few defensemen under contract next year. They've got to do something about the blue line. You've got Mikhail Sergachev, who's an RFA. You've got Sorelli, who's an RFA. You only have $5.33 million in cap space. So I do think it's likely we're going to see someone like a Yanni Gord or Tyler Johnson or Alex Kalorn get moved. But I understand the idea of a Stamkos trade. And, you know, for the team receiving him, because of the tax breaks, it, it actually benefits the receiving team because he's a relative bargain. It's not like he's making $11 million, right? He's an $8.5 million guy. But the problem is, yes, you know, I always think that no movement clauses are a bit overrated in hockey because if a guy knows that a team doesn't want him there anymore, I think he's always willing to listen to new ideas. So I, I'm not totally convinced that Stamkos would never want to go. Um, but, the, you know, I think the tax break thing is really important. So it's almost like, could he go to the Florida Panthers? <laughs> that could be the one place he could go. They could use a number two center because they traded Vincent Trocek. Eric Hall is a free agent, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but I, you know, it, Tampa's in a bit of a quagmire there because he just cannot stay healthy. It just, whether it's bad luck injuries, soft tissue, broken bones, there's always something these days with Stamkos, unfortunately. But I do agree that I, I think they're just, I don't want to say stuck. You're not stuck with Steven Stamkos. He's still a very good hockey player, but I think just their future will have to involve shipping out a piece that's a lot easier to move um next topic for you guys when i'm making my predictions for the next round i just every time and i know I'll, islanders fans are always on me about this like oh just didn't pick the owls always hating on the owls yes as if like i wake up in the morning thinking about my hatred for the islanders but there's a point that kind of sticks with me and, it, and it, it, i kind of look in the mirror and i'm like why do i never trust the islanders and it's kind of true and i'm kind of curious what you guys think about that principle and, and are you willing to back them in this series after they've been crushed already 8-2? And, and why is it that people don't give them the respect? So let's start with you, Ryan. I feel like I chose the Islanders to beat the Flyers. I'd have to go back to the tape, but I, I feel that I had them over the Flyers because I trusted New York there. But I, I understand the, the reticence. I think it's because they're, they're greater than the some of their parts. Like when you look at that team on paper, you see Matt Barzal and you say, okay, well, that's – that's a really good young center there, a guy with you know a ton of offensive potential that has you know wicked speed and great creativity. And then you look at a really workmanlike lineup that's not super impressive on paper, but they all play as a unit. They all know their roles, and obviously they get great coaching from Barry Trotz. But 
I, I can see they're, they're not, they're not the sexiest team. When you just look at a roster, like you look at their defense score and you say like, ah, this is a bunch of guys that are good, but not great. But I mean, they get the job done because they know exactly what they're supposed to do and they don't cheat. And that's really crucial for a team that might not have the marquee all-star game type names other than Matt Barzell. So it's like it, you have to take a leap of faith with the Islanders. And I, I think the problem for them in this series is that Tampa Bay has faced a team like that in the Columbus Blue Jackets and beat them. So Tampa Bay knows how to win this series. And, you know, it's not going to be 8-2, obviously, in every game. But, you know, the Lightning have the shooters that it doesn't matter if it's Varlamov or Grice, they're going to beat those guys. Um, and they know how to get to them. Uh, which has been a problem for other teams like the Flyers, for example. But I, I just, Tampa Bay is not going to be scared of the Islanders because I, I feel they have the template already. And, you know, teams like Washington and Philly, they, they just, they couldn't crack that nut. <laughs> well, you know, as far as the Islanders are concerned, I thought it was interesting that they went out and got Jean-Gabriel Pajot this year at the trade deadline because there are a whole bunch of John, Jean Gabriel Pajos. That's what they are. That's, they should be the New York Jean Gabriel Pajot. <laughs> That's what they should be. You know, and I, and I mean, you talked about their defense, and I bet you there's a lot of people outside of that market that don't know the difference between Pollock and Pollock. And, but they're both good. Like, they're both really good. And you look at them and you go, wow, I didn't know that guy was that good. I, I think it comes, a lot of it comes down to, you know, to coaching. I think Barry Trotz is a remarkable coach. He has a real ability to get the most out of his players um, at crucial times. I think he approaches those pressure situations very well. And, you know, I mean, like, you know, I mean, Matt Martin couldn't play in Toronto. And he's got, what, five playoff goals? Four or five playoff goals? Like, that fourth line shouldn't be that good. <laughs> they shouldn't be that good. <laughs> but they are. They're really effective. So, I think it's just a, it's just a sort of a zeitgeist sort of all coming together at the same time. I'm not sure that it's sustainable, uh, you know, correct. You know, stop me if you've heard this before. I don't think, I'm not sure if it's sustainable with the Islanders. <laughs> I think we've been saying that for a couple of years and they've kind of carried it. So um, as far as this series is concerned, I, I don't see them, you know, I, I saw a very tired team last night. I saw a really fatigued team. I saw a team that kind of has kind of put it all out there now. And usually the longer the playoffs go, the more you regress to what you are, good or mm -hmm. bad. And I think that's where we're, that's where we're at in this one. I got a, a quick trivia question, question for you guys. So give me one answer each. Who's the leading scorer in the playoffs for the New York Islanders? I'm going to say Ant Brock Nelson. Brock Nelson? Anthony Beauvillier. Josh Ooh. Bailey. Oh, wow. Ooh, yeah. and, and it's pretty telling, right? And I was surprised too when I looked it up. And it kind of summarizes the identity of the Islanders. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen a lot of comparisons to the 95 New Jersey Devils, but they had Hall of Famers. They had Marty Berger. They had Scott Niedermeyer, Scott Stevens. And Ken, this, is, this one's going to bug you, but I see, I see more parallels to the 96 Florida Panthers, <laughs> a team 
that no now you just now you just completely <laughs> you threw them off the rails they're gonna lose for sure yeah because yeah, uh, we were going we were at an axe throwing thing a few years ago and ken was doing really well uh, he was breezing through like making pulling off upsets and then i i was actually in the yeah. final yeah, he was I was in, in the, the final. final and i was about to throw my first axe and i hear matt the nerd larkin in the background going i feel like ken's kind of like the 96 florida panthers just <laughs> as i'm about to throw and then he imploded absolutely yeah. imploded in the <laughs> final so but that's kind of what i see with the islanders they're a team that doesn't have have, you know that star identity but they work so well as a unit and you know it, it just it works with the system because they're they're counter punchers they go into that shell we've talked about it a lot during these playoffs <laughs> steven says ken cheats at bocce okay uh, <laughs> is it cheating if you're drunk I don't know. yeah that's fair i don't know uh, yeah that's true he does and he falls on the ground anyways it's a long story <laughs> But I, I do think, you know, the identity works because it's just the nature of the system. It doesn't create these rewarding statistics for your forwards because you're collapsing so much. You're going to get your opportunities when you get them and you're going to, you know, extrapolate to a full season. There's going to be no guy that's a point per game player. But what's interesting to me is that, again, when it comes time to talk about the GM of the year, I really think Julian Breezebois deserves credit in this discussion because he he went out and fixed the holes that his team had. And he, he made this a team that can win so many different ways. And Tampa still has all the sex appeal, all the offense they had last year, but it can win different ways. And I just think it doesn't get enough credit. The Lightning don't get enough credit as a team as being really good defensively too. They played pretty good lockdown defense yeah. during the regular season. And they're not known as known by that identity, but they can play that way. So I think they're just a team that can, they don't have a real weakness to me anymore, which they did a year ago. And that's why, again, I've had them at the Stanley Cup. I think we, we all did as a, as a group before the season started. And I, I'm not wavering from that pick for, for that reason. Um, switching over to the West, you know, the, the Vegas goaltending mini carousel, the two-man carousel has been really fascinating. Every time it looks like one guy's got a hold of the net, then all of a sudden, you know, Vegas goes back to Marc-Andre Fleury for game one. So I'm kind of just curious, you know, instead of getting into the nitty gritty of who should start which game, I want to look big picture. So if you're GM Kelly McCrimmon, you have Mark Andre Fleury still under contract, uh, and you have Robin Lehner, who's UFA, going into this offseason. But Fleury does have he has a no trade clause, I believe it's a it's a modified no trades trade ten team no trade list on, on his clause. Okay, so if you're McCrimmon, I want you to play GM now and tell me what you would do with the goaltending, whether it's keep both sign laner and trade flurry or keep flurry and let laner walk so kenny let's start with you well i think they've made up their mind who their guy is and it's and it's robin laner um i i i think last night was just a you know a, a situation where they just wanted to give him a rest i think they think he's their guy um i i think it's been pretty clear that the the upper part of that organization is 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 more Robin Lehner than, than it is Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, and there's been all kinds of evidence of that, you know, the tweet by Alan Walsh. Um, that, does, that doesn't come out of nowhere. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, what he said is 100% correct, but that, does, that doesn't just come out of nowhere, right? Um, and then you've got um, the situation with um, uh, Jim Corn resigning, uh, you know, or, or the goalie coach. Jim, Mitch Corn. Not in Mitch Vegas, Korn. though. What's that? Corn is Corn is the Islanders. No, uh, okay. So who's the guy? I can't remember off the top of my head now. Okay. Well, anyways, the goalie coach who resigned right after, right after the Robin Laner trade was made. So I think they've made. I think they've made their. Um, I think they've made their. Their their bet on this one, and I think they've already decided. If I were Brad McCrimmon, I'd be like, okay, Mark, you give us your ten teams. Pittsburgh's probably not one of them. 
Um, let's trade you back to Pittsburgh. We'll take on half the salary and let's move on because I mean, I think, I think this is done. Dave Pryor. That's it. Dave Pryor. Why couldn't I remember that? Dave Pryor. He, he quit the day after Robin Lehner was, or one or two days after Robin Lehner was acquired. Um, so what well, didn't quit, but sort of became a consultant and moved over in the organization. But I, th I think this one's done already. And I, and I think they, they would be looking to move flurry and keep, keep Lehner. For me, I, I'm always conservative with these things. I think what you do is you try to sign Robin Lehner to say a three-year deal worth about like $4 million, with the understanding that you know the cap is going to go up after that contract. Um, if, if you can do that, or maybe you go like $5 million over two years and you go into next season with Flurry and Laner, but with the understanding that you're probably going to move Flurry, and you do it during the season because then you can sort of take advantage of you know if a team desperately needs goaltending, then you can kind of take a bit of advantage of that because you have a good asset in Mark Andre Flurry, and if you can't trade him during the season, then you call up Seattle and you say, hey, would you like the perfect starting goaltender for your new expansion franchise? we can attest to the fact he is an exemplary person for the job. And you either say like, we're just gonna, you know, you say to Flurry, Hey, would you like to go to Seattle? And, and he waves his, you know, no move clause to be exposed. Uh, hopefully you don't have to give up an asset to do so, but you protect Laner. Um, and, and you do it that way. I, I think that you can't, you can't just throw Flurry out for nothing. I think you need to sort of maximize your, your leverage here because he is still, a very good netminder and you know his contract's not that long it's two more years after this so you you do what you can but i mean laner's got to be your guy and i think you have to reward him with whatever dollars in term you can do under this particular cap because he has certainly earned it and he needs a team to step up and say yeah you are a top tier goaltender in the nhl and you deserve the comfort of a contract that resembles that. Yeah, I, I agree. It's funny. I agree and disagree. I agree with the latter part of what you said, and that's why I disagree with your, the, the other idea of keeping them both. I think the way to commit to Robin Lehner is to push Fleury out uh, because, like you said, Lehner, has, he's earned this now. He, he's, he's also almost seven years younger than Fleury. Um, and even just if you look at the, the presence of Fleury, if Fleury is known as such a leader and a well-liked dressing room guy, Leonard has grown into a leadership role too. You see the way he's spoken, especially on social issues in the postseason. He's a Leonard, he's a leader as well. So it's not like you're losing this huge presence but by, by dealing Fleury because Leonard is, is capable of being part of that leadership group as well. And if you look at the last two years, I wrote down some numbers, 69 goalies have played at least 1,000 minutes at 5 on 5. Nice. Goal saved above average per 60 minutes, which I think is overall the best indicator, the per 60 best indicator of goalie quality. Robin Lehner's fifth. So he's been a top five goalie in the last two years. Marc-Andre Fleury's 46th out of that, the group of 69. <laughs> so he's just, you know, Fleury's getting, he's almost seven years older. His play is starting to decline. And I think you have to commit well, for two reasons. One, just you can't, because Lehner's earned a long-term deal, he's earned, you know, whatever it's going to be, a $7 million cap hit. You can't pay, unless you're Montreal, you can't spend that much money on both your goalies combined but also i think if you're going all in you need to just commit that money to laner and use the cap space uh other you want you want to have some cap space left to, to 
fill up other holes in your lineup, right? So I think you do need to move Flurry. And, and I like the Pittsburgh idea, Kenny. I think the Penguins are clearly trying to, to get rid of Matt Murray by the sounds of it. So maybe if they end up trading Murray, you can go with a, a Jerry Flurry combo and Flurry could finish out his career as a Penguin. And if Jerry struggles, if he, then, you know, Flurry can take over. But I wouldn't be surprised if he'd be willing to go back because it's not like he left the, the organization on bad terms. Like they still absolutely love him there as a person. So I could see that that working potentially, especially if Vegas retained a little bit of salary. Uh, so Kenny, I know you wrote about this uh, recently, the Vancouver Canucks, and we were sort of looking ahead to, to what's their future. And, you know, they had a really good run. Uh, they were a fun team to watch. They have so much star power and they were, you know, one went away from getting to the conference final after being a non-playoff team. So quite the progress in the rebuild this year. So my question is now, you know, are they done the rebuilding phase? Are they in the win now phase? Or was this playoff run kind of a misrepresentation of their timeline? I sort of had an opinion on that, but I want to know what you guys think. So Ryan, tell me where you land on that. Are the Canucks now right in the mix for the Stanley Cup? Or do they still have a few years to go? I think they're, I think they're there. I think that they, you know, I, I was thinking about this before the, the last series ended. But to me, it was like Colorado and Vancouver, that's going to be your Western Conference final next year. This is before Colorado lost, obviously, to Dallas. Um, I think Vancouver, you know, the only thing that could really go wrong is, you know, if, if Quinn Hughes had a sophomore slump and, you know, and goaltending went sideways on you, like if, you know, if they can't re-sign Markstrom and there's too much pressure on Demko. But I, I think that they're in a good enough situation where they should be able to bring back the, the players they want. And, you know, you look at that roster and the best players are continuing to get better. Like think about what Elias Pettersson is going to be like next season. Think about what Bo Horvat's going to be like next season. Think about a healthy Brock Besser next season. I think, you know, if they can retain Chris Tanev on the back end, you know, retain the, the veterans they have, that would be great for them. But just based on all the growth they have, uh, to me, like they're they're there. Like they, if they won the Stanley Cup next season, I would not be shocked. I think they're they're very close too. But I think this is where they have to be bold. This is where you have to make a really really tough decision. You got to swallow hard and you got to move. And I think that decision is that you let Jacob Markstrom walk. Um, to me. I think they can sign two of Tyler Toffoli, Chris Tanev, and Jacob Markstrom. They can't sign all three. They might be able to sign two. You've got Thatcher Demko. If I'm, if I'm the Canucks and, and I'm Jim Benning, I would be like, okay, we've got a guy now. We've got Thatcher Demko. It's, it's not I, – I find it very hard to believe that this would be a fluke, right? Yeah. Okay, so what I would do is go out and sign – uh, a Kudobin, a Yaroslav Halak type, a guy who can play 30 to 35 games and spell off Demko, maybe take over if he hits a rough patch, gets hurt, whatever, right? Because it's going to cost you probably between five and a half and $6 million to sign Jacob Markstrom to a long-term deal. That's probably if, you know, I mean, that's probably, if, if you envision Jacob Markstrom in that role as it is, then that's about, two or three million dollars more than you should be paying him, right? So my, I think what they should do is they should forget about Jacob Markstrom. Thank you. We love you. It's not a personal thing, but we're moving on. You sign Chris Tanev. You sign Tyler Toffoli. 
the problem for the for the for the Vancouver Canucks, part of the problem is is that there might not be an American Hockey League this year, and right. So so that like I was thinking maybe something they could do with like a Louis Erickson is send him to the American League, hope he says no, forget it, I'm done, and then he's off the books. And if not, at least you've got a million off the books, you know, of his six. I think he said six, right? Yeah. And then that gives you a little more room to play around and to supplement and that kind of thing. Um, you know, but I think, I think it's going to take something bold, like, you know, buying out a Louis Erickson or, you know, sending him to the minors and hoping that he says, I don't know, maybe, maybe you send him to the East Coast League if they have an East Coast League this year. And he says, no, forget it. I'm not doing that. Thanks a lot. See you later. And then, then you're laughing. Right. So, um, but I think it all starts with, I just think that there's too often in this league, GMs and teams pay guys for what they've done, not for what they're going to do. And what Jacob Markson did was very special. He got them to that point where they were in the second round of the playoffs. But I think it would be a mistake to sign him long-term. And I think that would be a mistake that you'd end up paying for down the road, at not if not next year, in the next couple of years. You, you make some really good points there. And I do think, you know, you'd have to supplement. If you let him walk, you'd have to supplement with one of those luxury backups. Because we know that's just the system today. You need the backup that can play a lot. It's just... It's the, the state of goaltending today. More, go, more goalies than ever play 30 games a year. Now, I, it's funny. I'm, I don't think I'm quite as optimistic as you guys are about the Canucks' uh, very near future, which is funny. I was the guy who was picking the Canucks as a breakout team that's going to make the playoffs. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Steven is reminding us, Halak, did, Halak actually signed an extension. I keep forgetting that. He, he's already committed for Boston next year. Right. But we can right. say, you know, Kudobin's a perfect example of, of the goalie that fills that kind of role. Um, but I know that... Uh, so I had Vancouver as a breakout team, the team that was going to be knocking on the door of the playoffs unexpectedly. So that, you know, I've, obviously I believe in their rebuild, but I do think the way things played out in this postseason uh, might just misrepresent where they are because they were a very bad de- team defensively during the regular season. And they still were in the playoffs. If you look at those numbers, they're right at the bottom with Arizona. And it's partially reflected, of course, by getting dominated uh, in, in the possession by Vegas in one series, but they got dominated in the possession by Vegas in a series. And they were really bailed out by goaltending, which skews their overall competitiveness. You can make a case. Vancouver actually was not very competitive in most of that series. Future is extremely bright, especially when Vasily Podkolzin comes. Oh, baby. I think he's going to be a monster. But, you know, he's not. his contract's not done yet, so they still have to wait a little while longer for him. But I don't think this is a complete group. Uh, you know, goaltending, of course, it's still a mystery it's what they decide to do. And Ultimately, defense is where they, I still think, have more work to do. They still, especially now, you know, Ole Olivi, he may still end up being a viable NHLer, but I don't think he's going to be the top pair guy that he was ever hoped to be by the time he, he makes it full time. So I do think Vancouver needs another actual top pair, not even top four, I think top pair defenseman. And Ken, when you say doing something bold, I wonder if the bold move they have to do is like trade Brock Besser, some, something like that. If you know you have Pod Colson coming eventually, uh, or it's like, do you, if you're of the mindset that you've got to act when you have your window because windows are smaller than ever, do you have to trade a prospect? The Canucks, they have a good pool of prospects still. So whether whether it's Paul Colson or someone else, I don't know. But I, I do think you have to make a bold move to get a true bona fide top pair defenseman. And it is quite a good offseason for defensemen on the free agent market. There are a lot of good ones out there to target. Um, so I, I still... If I'm a Canucks fan, I'm really excited, but I don't think they're challenging for the cup next year. I wouldn't be surprised if it was like, oh, they lose in the first round next year. They go, they go backward, uh, but then they're good two years from now, right? So kind of like, you know, we saw it with the Jets in 2018. They go to the conference final next year, they regress, right? So uh, that's kind of how I see Vancouver 
bright future overall, but I think they kind of overperformed this year. Uh, so I wrote about this on the website last week. Patrick Laine, trade rumors. There's been talk of the Jets maybe moving him. And I did talk to some sources close to the situation, kind of indicating like, oh, it's more the media. It's more you guys that are stirring the pot on that. It's more speculation. Fair enough. But the reason why I, want, I wanted to write about it and the reason why I think there's some merit to these rumors this time is that the Jets, they genuinely have team needs to address that could be helped by moving line this time. Whereas last year, it was like you said, Ken, fantasy hockey. This year, I think there's actually a hockey fit for Winnipeg to make the moves because they need a number two center very badly and a right shot defenseman very badly. So I want to start with you, Ryan. Do you believe, and you don't have to play along, only if you believe it's possibility, tell me where you think line could land or you can just veto it and say, no, I'm not, I'm not getting involved. This is not going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen, but just for the sake of fun, I will propose a line A to Montreal for either Max Domi and Jeff Petrie uh, plus a second rounder because Montreal is three second rounders. Uh, or if you're trying to save cap space in Winnipeg, which I'm sure they are, you go Jeff Petrie in a first for line A. Now, I, Petrie, I think he needs a new contract as well after either this season or next season. Um, so it'd be kind of contingent on that because you need that defenseman. I don't, I don't know if Petrie shoots left or right. I, I don't pay attention to those right. things. He's there right. you go. Um, so anyways, you, you, you get a good veteran defenseman that will, that will help you out. But that would, that would be my f- fantasy pool trade, but I, I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, to me, Ryan, if, if, if that trade could happen, if I'm, if I'm uh, Mark Bergerman, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not walking to the phone. I'm not running to the phone. I'm actually going to sprint and dive for the phone <laughs> and grab it as soon as I can to call Kevin Day off. Because if that's all it took to get Patrick Laine, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Yeah. I, I agree that, that I don't think it's going to happen. I think this is, this is people thinking, oh, yeah, well, you know, like, okay, it's, it's easy to talk about. But then, okay, go ahead and move a, a potential 50-goal scoring winger who's 22 years old and has, you know, 873 goals by the time he's 20 or whatever, how many goals he yeah. had. I don't know, Matt. Tell us off the top of your head, how many goals did he have by the time he was 20? 138. Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm, it looks like I put it out on Twitter. What? And those, those bastards on Twitter, they, I put it out there, and I was just – of course, peak hockey Twitter. I, I'm trying to show, you know, he's only the age after four seasons. Line is the age that Ovi was after two seasons. What I meant was like, this is how young Line still is. And people are like, you're saying he's better than Ovechkin? Da, da, da. <laughs> God, hockey Twitter. Just take a break for one goddamn second, you bastards. Anyways, I have to get that out of my system. But Kiss your mother with that mouth? Uh <laughs> well, I mean, for a while, COVID. Okay. Uh, anyways, but anyways, I, I, you know, I, I really think it's it's one thing to say you should trade Patrick Liney. It's another to actually do it because this guy could still be a massive scoring star in this league. And if and and I was, you know, if you're going to trade him, I talked about Montreal too. But I think it's going to take a lot more than than that. I think it would take Domi, you know, Noodles Romanoff. Uh, uh, Petrie, a first round pick and yeah, a second and a third round pick or something. I think it would be, it would have to be a massive haul coming back for Winnipeg to even contemplate a trade like that. I think that's fair. I still think that the, the trade possibility is, is greater than 
some people believe just because of the fact, I think Winnipeg might be realizing it just doesn't have the roster breakdown that can win. It has all these great forwards, but it needs more variety up and down the lineup. And it because of Ryan Little's injury, the career threatening injury, they desperately need number two center. So I think if it was Montreal, you could build an offer starting with Max Domi, uh, but you need the right shot defenseman as well. Cause they just got absolutely ravaged on that side of their blue line in the summer. I do. I mean, I could see Travis Havnick coming because he's a Winnipeg guy. And I think that's a, I would almost bet money that he's going to go to Winnipeg. Yeah. But I, I, I still think you could use even more help there. And, and I do like, I'm not the one who thought of this. It's been mentioned by a lot of insiders, but Carolina being a really logical fit because it has such a surplus on defense on the right side. And whether it's poor old Dougie Hamilton getting moved again, I don't think so this time, but maybe it's Brett Pesci and it's Vincent Trocek because Carolina has Martin Nechish that they can move back to center as a number two center long-term. So maybe you'd build something around Vincent Trocek and Brett Pesci, maybe you have to add another piece. I'm not sure, but I could see it. I could see that as a type of deal that's a fit for both teams. Liney goes to Carolina. You reunite him with Sebastian Ajo, his old World Junior Liney from the that the, the title. Yeah, yeah. His Liney Liney. So I don't know. I, I it's a it's still a long shot, of course, but I, I don't think it's a total pie in the sky idea this time. I think it's a logical idea. Uh, let's do a little bit of uh, listener or viewer, reader, whatever you want to call these hockey news follower people questions. This one's from Sunshine State Hockey, who's had some good questions before for us. What moves can the Florida Panthers make to stay competitive, even with Bobrovsky's huge cap hit and assuming the Panthers cut $10 million from their player salary budget? So right now they've got $20 million, give or take listed. So for the sake of this exercise, we can say it's $10 million. Right. I think what they've got to do in that case is it, it hurts, but you got to let Mike Hoffman and Evgeny Dodonov walk. And you got to hope that Gregory Denisenko and Owen Tippett are ready to fill those spots. And you have to use the money on something else, namely defense. They need a defenseman really badly. And maybe a number two center because they traded Trocek, Hall as a UFA. So I think the only way to get a balanced roster is, unfortunately, I think you have to let both of those guys go. Because combined, I think they're going to be, what, $15 million to retain. That's kind of where I stand. What about you, Kenneth? Well, they're at, what, 60, 61 million. And uh, so let's say that's a 71, they're going to be at 71. Um, You know, see that the only caveat there is the, is that the reader asked, how do they, how do they get better? And that's the problem is you don't get better. Like, I don't know. Like I I was looking at, maybe you find somebody to unload, you know, Mike Matheson and Antron Strawman, you get rid of their salaries, you trade a, you know, you trade a pick to get rid of those or a couple of picks or whatever. And then you build around that. But I, I just don't know that they can get <laughs> better and cut salary. It's, it's kind of counterintuitive. Um, you know, I mean, Bill Zito has said they need it. They need strength down the middle. Um, he said, he's sort of stated that's their goal. So uh, that's a, that's a tough one. That's a, that. I mean, you know, I mean, there's, there's peril in signing a guy like Sergei Bobrovsky to a $10 million contract. Like, I mean, if I'm Columbus, I'm doing a friggin' jig right now. Like, God, we dodged a bullet. So glad that he said he kept saying no to us. And look at where we are now, you know? Yeah, and I was talking to an NHL exec last week about this, and he was saying there is not a team in the league that will go anywhere near that Bobrovsky contract. Like, it is untradeable in every imaginable uh, scenario. So really your hope is just that Bobrovsky finds his game again. And, you know, Bill Zito on his introductory conference call, he was saying he has a lot of faith in Bobrovsky. He obviously has 
a history with him dating back to when Zito was an executive in Columbus and Bobrovsky was there. He knows how hardworking Bobrovsky is. Apparently, you know, Bob was sending him his daily workout routines uh, when he found out Zito was getting the job in Florida. So he's, he's got the right mindset, but I, I agree with Matt. I think Hoffman and Dodonov, you got to let them walk. Hope Denisenko and Tippett uh, can catch on. But in, in terms of getting better, I, I don't think you can put that dollar, you know, you, you can't say cut $10 million. You know, as CEO Matthew Caldwell was saying, he wanted to talk to Zito and take his cues from Zito as to how far they go up against the salary cap. So I'm not sure if they necessarily will cut that amount of money. I, I'm sure they would love to, but if, if the Panthers are going to be a playoff team next season, they do need more defense and they need to keep growing uh, the forward core they have. So, I mean, if Bobrovsky plays even like, 15, 20% better than he did this year, that's probably another like four or five wins in the standings. And all of a sudden they go from a bubble team to a legit, you know, top four in their division team in a scenario where, you know, the wild card is split four and four. Funny, the Panthers have finally reached the status for me where every year I, I back them as a breakout and I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done doing it. They keep embarrassing me. Come on. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me a thousand times, shame on me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, I think I had the hot take. It wasn't my real cup pick, but my hot take cup pick was like, rematch 96, Colorado, Florida. And they embarrassed me, those Panthers. Uh, we'll do one more reader question before we go here. This one's from Matt Boeinger. Uh, which active player would make the best coach? I like that, that question. Um, my answer is an obvious one, but I can explain why. So Jonathan Taves, of course, you know, people would probably, a lot of people would probably pick him, but I've seen it kind of firsthand. So if people remember, if people read the magazine, Jonathan Taves was our guest editor a couple of years ago. So he took over as editor in chief. And of course, being classic Jonathan Taves, like he didn't mail it in, like he really worked hard on it, which is like so fittingly Jonathan Taves. Um, but when I went there, so I went to Chicago to work with him on it a little bit. And I was talking to a lot of his teammates and I kind of shadowed them a little bit while I was there. And like, they were kind of getting into detail of just how much that, how much everyone follows Jonathan Taves. Like he tells them what to eat. Like he, he, it's, he doesn't just tell them what to do on the ice. Like he shares his nutrition plan and like the young guys, especially just like follow him around like Pied Piper, they just do whatever he says. So he's, he's a captain, but he's like a, a super captain. And I think he would translate his, just his raw leadership ability would translate. And I even remember when we did a photo shoot with him, he was like, no, let me see that again. He was kind of like, he kept kind of taking over and, and showing his leadership skills, even just like doing a photo shoot. He just has that coach mentality in him. So that's my pick. Ryan, what about you? I'm going to go with Nick Foligno uh, in Columbus. Obviously he's the captain there. Cause when I was thinking about players, you don't want anybody that's like preternaturally good. Like I was thinking like Patrice Bergeron, but like you can't teach what Patrice Bergeron has, you know, like it's just so innate or like Sidney Crosby. Like it's like when Wayne Gretzky was a coach, it's like Wayne, he can't say like, just be like I was because like there aren't, you know, there are so few players like Wayne Gretzky. Nick Foligno is a top tier NHLer, but he's a guy that does it on hard work, playing the right way, you know, being in a system. And obviously he's a great leader you know, his dad, Mike Foligno, not only was an NHLer, but also a junior coach uh, with the Sudbury Wolves, as Ken would know. Right. Um, 
so I, I feel like Nick Foligno is like, he's in that great, like kind of like, I'm not saying he's as good as Rod Brindamore because, you know, Rod Brindamore is, you know, like hall of fame caliber. Um, but I think he's in that mold where, you know, players would know that Nick Foligno has done everything that he would ask them to do on the ice. And therefore uh, there would be that real legitimacy in whatever plans and structures that he put into place for them. Yeah, well, I'm going to go with a guy like Gabriel Landeskog. Mm. Or who's the biggest underachiever in the NHL right now? Throw out a name. Who's a huge underachiever in the NHL right now? Underachiever overachiever? Underachiever. Like a guy? Uh, yeah, a guy that we thought would be a lot better and a lot more dedicated and hardworking. That's the guy I'm going to pick to be a good coach. And I'll Cody tell you why. I'll Cody tell you exactly why. I'll give you two names. Bruce Boudreaux. Bruce Boudreaux. Travis Green. Uh, okay. Travis Green, I covered Travis Green when he played for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I will tell you this. I saw that team every single day. I walked into that dressing room every single day. And if you had told me back when Travis Green played for the Toronto Maple Leafs, you've got to pick one guy to be the NHL, to be an NHL coach. I'm, I'm not kidding. He would have been the guy I would have picked last. <laughs> like I would have picked everyone else before him. Bruce Boudreaux, dog as a player, dog. Had all kinds of talent, skill, didn't use it, didn't apply himself, was happy to play in the minors, you know? Like, those are the guys that don't make great coaches for some reason. So, I, I, I don't know. Whoever it is that's a huge – Robbie Shrimp. Josh right, Hosang. Robbie Shrimp. Josh Hosang. What? Uh, Josh Hosang. There's your Jack Adams winner in, like, 2015. <laughs> <laughs> Good picks, guys. Well, thank you guys for, for participating in that exercise. Thank you for listening and watching, everyone. We'll be back next week. We're back on our pseudo-regular schedule, and it's fun. See ya.